Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Simply Amazing. I'm Tim Ryder from the Apple and uh, things are getting a little interesting, friends. Not an ideal week by any means, but hey, uh, let's try and find some positives. Really, really needing to find some consistency. Uh, the Mets had a, an up and down week. They lost on Monday in Washington. They won on Tuesday in Atlanta. Got a big homer from James McCann, a game-winning hit from Francisco Lindor. Lost David Peterson and the game by 18 runs on Wednesday. And uh, that takes us to uh, to Thursday night. And I'm literally I hit record 30 seconds after uh, after the uh, the game wrapped up, and we'll get to that in uh, in due time. But you know, Wednesday was pretty much an entire night to forget, and was right in line with the middling funk the Mets have kind of been stuck in as of late. It's just a microcosm of frustrations. Uh, Thursday wasn't much prettier. It ended a little more encouragingly, well, sort of. But as I said, we'll 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 knock that out. The month of June wasn't completely terrible, you know, all things considered. Pete Alonso had a very nice month at the plate. He hit 293, 366, 495, 137 weighted runs created plus. Uh, that's going to do, and, you know, we, we love to see Pete put this team on his back. We've seen him do it before, and it would be nice for him to do it again right about now. Uh, James McCann's been raking as well. But, you know, outside of those guys, the, the Mets have had some serious issues on the offensive side. Coming into Thursday, uh, you have Jacob deGrom on the mound. You know, taking two or three against the Braves had to be priority number one. Well, that and scoring runs. You know, it's almost uncanny how this team continues to find itself in the thick of things without scoring more than three and a half runs per game. And they actually put up exactly three and a half runs per game through June, went 15 and 15, and they still entered July with a two game lead in the, in the National League East. You know, that's not going to last under these conditions, but we'll take it. I talked about it at the Apple on, on Wednesday. Uh, yeah, Wednesday. Um, you know, all things considered, things have kind of gone as well as they could have. You know, it's a shame that this team isn't up you know, six, eight games in the division because they very well could have been if, um, you know, even the even the, the, the healthy regulars were hitting. Or, you know, the bench mob did all they could, but and the pitching did all they could, and the defense did all they could. But, you know, this team had the opportunity to win probably, let's say, at least four or five more games than they did over the last three months. But anyway, um, what they're doing now, it's just it's not going to last. The Nationals went... 18 and 9 in June, they're, they're nipping at the Mets' heels. Um, make or break time is, is rapidly approaching. The lineup is, is finally starting to look like a major league lineup again, and that's always nice. Uh, Michael Conforto and Jeff McNeil haven't quite hit their strides yet, but they will. You know, Brandon Nimmo's expected back as soon as this weekend. J.D. Davis begins, he began his rehab assignment this week. Tomas Nito is knee-deep in his rehab assignment. Even Carlos Carrasco has begun throwing off a mound, and that's a huge development. Uh, according to Louis Rojas on Thursday, you know, Cookie had begun throwing full side sessions. Um, he, he'll begin to line those up with a rehab assignment once all of his necessary hurdles are cleared. And, um, you know, that's just it, – it's it's very, very big uh, – Turn of events, especially considering the the injury issues that the Mets rotation is facing right now. 
Um, you know, they've gotten by just fine without Carrasco and without Noah Syndergaard. There's no telling when he'll be back in action, if at all. But, um, you know, having a picture a picture of Carrasco's uh, ilk back in the mix, it'll be a substantial step forward for this group. Uh, Joey Lucchese, he emerged as a viable option, went down with a torn UCL. David Peterson had just found his touch, and now he's shelved. Hopefully not for long. Uh, he's really become such an extremely valuable cog over the last, uh, let's you know, few weeks. I think he he let up two earned runs over his previous three starts heading into Wednesday. You know, that's what we call a groove, and it makes his injury that much more disappointing. Um, Rojas said Peterson felt a sharp pain in his right side, uh, left the game promptly after, you know, waving the coaches out, left the stadium during the game for additional testing. Uh, came back on Thursday. Rojas said that he was feeling very tight, whatever that means. He wasn't, you know, as Rojas does, they're not really letting on too much information about injuries. And, you know, it is what it is. Uh, Rojas did confirm the unlikelihood of Peterson making his next start. Thomas Zapucky, who took a, a man-sized slice of work in Wednesday's loss, uh, he got touched up for six earned runs over three and two-thirds. Uh, but he might be their only option um, moving forward, so we'll kind of have to see how that goes. Marcus Stroman and Taiwan Walker, uh, you know, they'll need to continue being the studs they've been so far, and, you know, Jacob deGrom will be Jacob deGrom. But the Mets, you know, we talked about it a bit last week, they may very well need to start exploring uh, an outside addition, or two possibly. And no half-assed moves either. I mean, make let's make a wave or two. Do something special. Um you know, fill the gaps. You have a, a a quickly dwindling lead in the East. I know you're down to one and a half after uh, after Thursday's loss, and I'm not even sure what Washington did. I could check right now. Show me the scores. Gosh darn it. Oh, did the Nationals maybe get rained out? I don't even know. No, they're not even playing. Oh, yep. No, they lost. They lost to the Dodgers today. All right, so a game and a half after losing uh, on Thursday night, which we'll get to in a second. But, you know, um, make a move. Make a statement. Fire up this entire team. You know, maybe things are getting a little uh, murky right now. You know, it is what it is. It It's a funk. I think that's clearly, you know, painfully obvious at this point. Um, you know, things just kind of hit a low. But before we continue with the Mets um, – I'd be remiss to gloss over Trevor Bauer. Uh, I have no words, really. Um, just a, a repulsive situation. Uh, you know, all the red flags were there over the past few years. The harassment online, the um, just that alpha male bullshit. <laughs> um, you know, many, many voices could have been listened to over the last couple of years regarding this and uh, instead, as the story usually goes, the more prominent voices kind of set the tone and set the narrative regarding Trevor Bauer. And you know, by the time this uh, just abhorrent attack took place, it, it was it was too late. Um, I, I myself am one of those voices who probably didn't raise enough alarm. You know, I spoke up, but apparently not nearly loud enough. It's funny. It's not funny. It's um. You know, one voice on one platform can make noise. Many voices on many platforms can actually, you know, make change. And, uh, you know, I guess 
the point would be for all of us to, to speak up when we see something going on and listen to the people who are telling us what's happening. Like, you know, when the Mets were considered the front runner for Bauer's services in February, you know, while strongly condemning his behavior, I, I openly rooted for positive change in him the same way I would for anyone. I'm a product of second chances myself, and I probably deserved none when I turned my life around. But I got them. I transformed myself back into a decent human being, and I'll go to my grave holding out hope for even the worst people to become better people. It's just in my nature. That's who I am. Again, in Bauer's case, the red flags were painfully obvious. I, I know I didn't think this sort of this sort of behavior was on the table, but you know, folks who were more capable than me at picking these things up and picking these things out, they had this scumbag pegged from the get-go. And, um, you know, keep in mind, I, I, I'd been suspended for Twitter from Twitter for calling Bauer, and I quote, a fucking coward for harassing women on Twitter. Um, Kate Feldman from the Daily News, he was, you know, just pretty much giving his legions of followers the green light to come down on whoever questions him. And, it, it you know, it's more often than, than not, um, he would stay silent when, when men were addressing him. But if women were addressing him, he would, then he would, you know, stand up and defend himself. And again, it's only going to get your, your minions or whatever his followers consider themselves, um, more riled up. And of course they're going to attack. It's a, it's a vicious cycle. And, and, you know, there were many, many people who called him out on his just nonsense and just the more important voices didn't, you know, I want to say, that, you know, I, I, you know, how Major League, I'm sorry, I'm like at a loss for words, how Major League Baseball or the Dodgers are allowing him to stay with the team and make his next scheduled start is just, it's beyond the pale. You know, how this all shakes out over the next days and weeks, it's going to set a very, very clear precedent on where Major League Baseball stands on these matters. Um, they've never taken a hard line stance in the past. It's always kind of been a forced into it kind of situation. And that's, that's just not going to play. It's disrespectful to, you know, to your fans. We are the, the lifeblood of this game, not you. And you're turning fans off. It just, I, I, I got a little off. Look at Marcelo Zuna. You know, he, he allegedly, assaulted his partner in front of Georgia police officers. The next day, Ken Rosenthal was out writing about how Ozuna will still likely get paid despite the charges. You know, narratives are set in motion and the public response is crafted to those narratives. And it's just a backward system. So even while half of Twitter was condemning Bauer for his antics, the other half were celebrating it. And the bigger dogs in baseball writing, oh, they're just so intrigued by his knowledge and his intelligence and his talent that it was, you know, his behavior was just unceremoniously swept under the rug. And now this is where we are. It's just such a mess. And um, as for the folks who are choosing to defend Bauer's actions now, or worse yet, degrading the word of this brave woman who came forward, you're just, you're trash bags all around, every one of you. If you're offended by that, I don't know what to tell you. You'll have to come to that conclusion yourself. But this woman may have very well consented to 
physical sexual relations. She did not consent to be beaten or sodomized while unconscious. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not law enforcement. But what Trevor Bauer is being accused of, in my mind, could probably be considered rape. Bottom line, not only does Trevor Bauer not belong anywhere near an MLB clubhouse, it's more than conceivable he'll be facing criminal charges in the very near future. Major League Baseball, make an example out of this piece of shit, please. I'm, um, I'm praying for anyone who's ever been affected by domestic abuse, sexual assault, anything of that nature. Um, I'm just, you're, you're in my thought. I can't imagine how watching this episode unfold on a national level must be affecting you or your families, your loved ones. If you're just, um, yeah, you're, you're in my thoughts and prayers and I hope many of you also take into consideration the people who are affected, but, uh, yeah, let's take a quick break. We'll, we'll hear from the sponsors. We'll be right back to, to talk about Jacob deGrom. Damn. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Football is back. And the best bet you can make is downloading the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It doesn't matter if you're new to gambling or an old pro. FanDuel has something for everyone. And as an official sports betting partner of the NFL, you know your bets are safe. There's also never been a better time to use FanDuel. Because right now, you'll get up to $1,000 back if your first bet doesn't win. You can even turn a small wager into a big payday with a same-game parlay bet. Just sign up with the promo code SPOTIFY to place your first bet risk-free on FanDuel Sportsbook. Download FanDuel today. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. The Fall Line is a true crime podcast covering the coldest cases in the southeastern United States and occasionally beyond. We focus on the missing persons, the unsolved murders, and the unidentified does that don't get media attention. Empathetic and intensively researched, The Fall Line will take you on deep dives into unsolved cases that you've never heard of and make you wonder why you haven't. Find us wherever you listen to podcasts. And welcome back. Um, i got to shake myself off after that. Jacob deGrom entered Thursday night with a 0.69 ERA and uh, the aura of the, the greatest, se- greatest season for any pitcher in Major League history, you know, practically hovering over his head. We've gone over the accolades many times. <clears throat> Excuse me. He's just going to keep racking up more anyway, so what's the use of running through them again? Simply put, he's doing things that have never been done in the, you know, century and a quarter or whatever, how long it's been, that this game has been being played at a professional level. Coming into the night, uh, left-handed hitters were hitting 111 against DeGrom. Righties were hitting 119. Um, appar- uh, apparently, Atlanta didn't get the memo early. <laughs> uh, Ahire Adria- Adrianza got it right. Tripled to lead off the first. Ozzy Albies, who went had five hits on a, in Wednesday's route, knocked him in. Austin Riley just tanked one inside the foul pole down the right field line. And... Before you knew it, that one nothing lead that the Mets had, courtesy of Michael Conforto's RBI single in the top of the first, it was 3-1. Um, so that Riley home run, it was DeGrom's third home run allowed this season. The first time he'd allowed more than one run in the first inning since August 2019. 
<clears throat> and just the second time he'd allowed more than, uh, more than three hits in a game this season. So, yeah, out of character to say the least. Um, the three runs he allowed in the first actually inflated his ERA up above the one-run plateau, up to 1.03. He'd be back under the one-run threshold by the end of the night. Um, Atlanta led off the second with a double and a single. Jake rebounded to strike out three, including Freddie Freeman, who he struck out on four sliders in the first, then went down <laughs> chasing 101 upstairs in the second to uh, to leave those two stranded. Who was it? Almonte and Smith, I think. Uh, that was angry Jake, and, and it was awesome. You know, he did the same thing in the third and the same thing in the fourth and pretty much through the rest of his evening, just pitching with a vengeance. You know, you hate to see him in these spots, but, you know, these are inevitable sometimes. You put a, you let up runs. Nobody's perfect. Um, he's still the greatest pitcher on the planet, and at least in the last 50 years, if not in the history of the game. His velocity did drop into the, like the 95-96 range over like the last three pitches of the fourth inning, all on four-seamers. So, of course, it caught mine and many other people's eye on uh, who are watching the game on Twitter and such. Jumped back into the high 90s by the end of the fifth, and it almost appeared like he was giving just – he was doing it on purpose, giving guys a different look just to kind of fuck with them. And just the incomparable Jacob DeGrom. That's just what he is. So uh, through the fifth, he had struck out six in a row and 12 total and on just 68 pitches, no less. You know that a sliver of Jake had Tom Seaver and now Aaron Nola's uh, consecutive strikeout record in the back of his head. You know that he was thinking about it. And I'm not even watching the presser right now. I'm recording the uh, the uh, the podcast, so I, I, I have to imagine someone's asking him about it. But we'll all see it. We all see the same stuff. So Jake ended up with eight eight strikeouts in a row before Dansby Swanson flew out to end the sixth, and 15 straight Braves set down. He finished the night with 18 straight Braves set down, 14 strikeouts, matching a career high, no walks. And like I said, that ERA is back down to 0.95 on the season. Um, you know, whether he's going to touch Bob Gibson's 1.12, you know, to be determined. I think it's it's certainly, you know, it's a am not using it in the cliche sense, but it's literally a different ballgame these days. I think they were talking about it on the broadcast. You know, Jacob deGrom's probably almost definitely not going to crack 200 innings this year. Um, Bob Gibson was up near 300. You know, it's... It's a different game completely, but, um, you know, certainly nothing to uh, to shake a stick at. And considering, you know, the um, advancements in just the overall talent of baseball players uh, in the past, you know, let's say 50, 60, 70 years. Yeah, I, I put whatever Jacob deGrom is doing right up there with anybody else in the history of the game. And, uh, you know, it, he's, a, he's a freaking machine. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if he's actually a robot. You know, good luck facing this version of Jacob deGrom in the postseason. Um, you know, he was there in 2015, but uh, that was 2015 Jacob deGrom. 2021 Jacob deGrom, it's a different animal. Though so, there will be no postseason unless this offense begins producing. Um, counting on the pitching staff to hold the opposing team to under three runs every night, it's just, it's unrealistic. Um, when the Mets score four or more runs, they have a winning percentage in the high 800s. So they're like 36 and five or something like that. Yeah, you know, that needs to be a daily benchmark. I don't care what Hugh Quattlebaum says. You know, Quattlebaum's focusing more on the process itself than the immediate results, and I get that. 
macro versus micro. But if the four-run plateau is what's keeping this team from being a powerhouse, maybe the approach needs to change. The roster itself is built for success. The talent across the roster is evident. You know, the mirages of guys who might not be what we think they are, they're few and far between. You know, everyone in this lineup, the regular lineup, has proven to be a productive major leaguer at one point or another, and that's just on the low end. Um, Francisco Lindor might be the only one with a tried-and-true long-term track record, but Michael Conforto and Pete Alonso and Brandon Nimmo and Jeff McNeil and Dom Smith, you know, they're all more than capable players who, in my humble opinion, can indeed carry this team to the promised land. You know, slumps will happen, as we've seen. Um, we're very familiar by now. Adjustments will have to be made. Tinkering will need to take place. This engine's going to need to start firing on all cylinders if this team has the, the loftiest of goals in mind, which by all accounts they do, and they, they should. They have the team to do something special that's, you know, this uh, 80% of the team not doing anything and two guys carrying away. It's not feasible. It's not going to work out in the long run, especially now that other teams in the division are kind of picking up. Well, <laughs> the Nats are picking up. Um, you know, the Mets offense, they, they woke up on Thursday, thank goodness, but, I mean, it was really only one facet of the offense that woke up. You know, Dom Smith led off the seventh with a first pitch homer off Ian Anderson, who looked really, really good. He only struck out two, but, um, you know, and he was <laughs> dealing with a Mets lineup that's just, you know, uh, struggling to say the least, but Dom made it a 3-2 game. The Mets left two on base in the eighth and appeared destined for another flat showing at the dish. Um, you know, that was deflating to say the least, but not so fast, man. You know, Trevor May got in and out of trouble in the bottom of the eighth, left the bases loaded with a big strikeout of Dansby Swanson. Dom Smith homered for the second time, tied the game at three in the top of the ninth. You know, someone's always picking this team up when they're down. You just, you wish it was more than one guy doing the lifting at a time. Uh, James McCann was stranded. He singled with one out after Dom's uh, second home run. And, you know, Guillaume and Peraza both struck out. And, you know, in all likelihood, I guess the win was probably left out there with him. Um, you know, Seth Lugo certainly had his chances to get out of the ninth on um, on uh, on Thursday. Uh, he nearly worked around a, a runner on third with one out in the ninth. But a, a, quest, a very questionable call on a full count with two outs to Ender Inciarte loaded the bases for Freddie Freeman. He lined a, a shot off of Lugo's foot. It bounced to Guillaume at third, and he threw just too late to first. The force play at third, I think it was Acuna coming. It was, I don't want to say it was there. They were talking about it just after the game, so it's kind of fresh in my mind. But I don't think it was as close. I think his closer play was the throw. But either way, um, nobody prepares for a, a shot up the middle to come shooting to the left. It's just, you know, shit happens. And I know we keep on saying it, you can't win them all. But, yeah, you know, it is what it is, I guess. Um you're going to have to start stringing wins together sooner or later. You know, heading into the Bronx this weekend, Subway Series time, by the way. I know, you know, I'm I'm so sick of the Subway Series. I wish that um, you know, maybe now that you have two teams that are competitive and two teams that are really, you know, dying for wins right now, uh, you know, you, it, with fans back in the stands, you might get a little, um, I guess, a little more excitement. 
you know, it should be a good source of energy. Um, the malaise of the season has already begun to sink in. I think that's more than obvious. You know, 162 games is a long season, um, even more so after a 60-game season. But the, the energy of the fans should really get the most out of both of these teams. And hopefully it sparks uh, an inferno of sorts uh, for, with the Mets. Because, you know, they really they have to start making moves. The rest of the division outside of the Nats, they just they can't find consistency. And, uh, you know, you got to take advantage of that, man. It's clobbering time. you got your, your roster coming back. Um, maybe go out and make a move or two. You know, reinforce some weak spots and go make a push. Let's do something special, man. Uh, guys, I think that's all I got. Um, I'm heading off to Western Massachusetts in the morning. I will be back for game time. Hopefully rain doesn't push that out. I know it's supposed to be a, a, a precipitous day. We shall see. But um, we'll be back on Monday. Our good buddy Matthew Brownstein from over at Metsmerized. He's going to be joining us on a, on a, a lovely 4th of July Sunday. I, we're going to have to record ahead of the Sunday night game because – who puts a fucking 4th of July game on Sunday night? Like, come on. That's just ridiculous. It should have been a 4 o'clock game and let everyone go enjoy themselves. It's just silly. But, um, yeah, Matthew's going to be with us. We'll be talking about the uh, the first two games of the series, where this team's headed next. Um, yeah, it's going to be an exciting summer. Uh, it, it's, <laughs> it's not going to be a... Uh, uh, a coasting summer by any means, at least doesn't feel like it right now, but you know, you got to hope that, uh, things are going to pick up, be the change friends. That's what I was talking about today. Steve Cohen, you follow the podcast. I know you've listened now and then I, I, I believe, but think you know, by all means, you're welcome to, uh, to comment on that publicly, but, um, pay your, pay your minor leaguers livable wages. I think that's, uh, got to be number one on your list right now forget about the trade deadline um of course our friends over at advocates for minor leaguers ty kelly friend of the pod who um who's involved in that movement um they put up a, a tweet on thursday stating a pretty obvious fact about bobby Bonilla day and the uh it's the hypocrisy that the mets are giving bobby Bonilla. of course it wasn't steve cohen's decision to do this but um they're paying him $1.2 million a year to, uh, you know, just kind of play out the rest of his deferred contract or play it out. You know what I mean? Um, just get paid through his, you know, mid, <laughs> midlife. Um, and, and there's, you know, Mets minor leaguers who have been waiting for nine months of back pay that they still haven't received. You know, there's minor leaguers that are out there sleeping in cars. There's minor leaguers out there eating ramen noodles. 10 times a week. It's, um, it's not how you treat the future of our game. And yes, it is our game. It's not your game. It's not the league's game. It's not the player's game. It's our game. We are the, we are the lifeblood of this. And this is the future of our game. And the same way I was saying before, many individual voices on individual platforms don't do as much good as all the voices on all the platforms saying the same thing. So, guys, I think it's time for some accountability. It's time to um to to let Steve Cohen know that he should be the change. He should be setting the bar. The Toronto Blue Jays they increased minor league wages by fifty percent across the board in twenty nineteen. No other major league team 
has moved past paying the absolute minimum besides Toronto. Um, that needs to change. Steve Cohen, you want to walk in? You're the richest owner in Major League. In Major League Baseball, you're the second richest owner in sports, I believe. Go, raise that bar. Let's see what you got, pal. I'm, I'm a big fan of the change and the energy and the vibe that Steve Cohen brought to this team and to this organization and to the fan base. Um, it's, it's a wider scope than just putting a winning team out there. It goes everywhere. The, the Bobby Bonilla pushing a, an Airbnb, that could have been handled much better and, you know, it seemed very commercialized um, and not a fan, not a fan whatsoever. I love what Ryan Reynolds did. Absolutely love that. He didn't need two commercials. Check that out. I think it's, it's called Mint Mobile. If you had, if you didn't see it on social media, you could look it up. Bobby Bonilla did two commercials for them and just making fun of the situation. That I want to see. I don't want to see the Mets making money with Airbnb to, uh, to rent out city field suites for God knows how much a night. That's not, you know, that's not the way. All, all this money and this marketing pushing, these funds being appropriated for this nonsense, it could be going towards the future of your game. I guess that's the point of what I'm trying to say. Boy, I fi- I was gonna, <laughs> I already pretty much signed off, and I got into a whole other segment. That was fun. But uh, like I said, we're back on Monday. Steve Cohen, pay your minor leaguers. Let's fucking go, Mets family. Peace. Yeah!